they were very very DIY, yeah. right? They yeah, had yeah. their own uh, label. They did their yeah, own right. Process, they did their own thing. artwork. Yeah. Then they had you know all the you know all their own marketing shots, all there with umbrellas. With yeah. That. The suits and ties and stuff, you know. So they were really, really, very professional. They were very actually, yeah. They were very yeah. into it, yeah. So that's I mean, what they, I want. That's what I want. Which is very different from what what yeah. the rest of us did. We should we should mention that. Hi, welcome back to another exciting episode of Lion City Rock. Um, we are quite excited today because it's someone we haven't seen in quite a while. Um, a very good friend of ours, excellent guitarist, um, and you've probably heard his music. If you're old enough, in this band called the Livonia. Um, if you're not so old but still kinda, in this band called the Electrico. And if you really, really like just good old heavy rock guitar music and stuff. You probably heard Inge Hand a Cutlass, of which he was a member and a founder of. So please welcome, put your hands together for uh, Mr. Daniel Sassoon. Yay! Thanks, Chris. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for this. It's so nice to talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been years, I think. Yeah, it's been since a we last time. seen each other. No, I just I was just drinking with him last week. Yeah. <laughs> Besides that, Besides apart that. from that, yeah, apart from that. Okay, don't ruin the mood. Yeah. <laughs> so Daniel, how how you been? What are you What have you been up to as a very busy, uh, you know, man of the law or something? <laughs> well, I guess like any salary man worth his salt, I've had to devote a little bit more time to the paymasters and the man. Mm-hmm. as they put it. But, uh, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's not too bad. It's, uh, you know, the last, uh, even with the craziness of the COVID situation and everything, I guess it's, you know, giving me a little bit more time to uh, uh, just kind of focus on the things that really mean a lot to me. And uh, which at this point in time is kind of just me and my dog <laughs> 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 and my guitars. But, uh, and, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's true. It beats traveling every couple of weeks, and you know, right, all that right. kind of stuff. So yeah, but uh, I I do miss the music. That's the one big thing, um, you know, um, the mm. play because of everybody's different schedules. But that's we can talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, okay. yeah, sure. I mean, like, since you mentioned music, I mean, mm-hmm. you got into music was um, quite young, right? Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, you mentioned. I, I think so. I mean, I, I think I was, I, I remember being in like a early secondary school and suddenly, you know, kind of getting the bug uh, to play music you know, just by listening to stuff on the radio and getting inspired by stuff and, hmm. you know, and just really feeling something for it. So I guess I just tried to pick up the guitars soon as I felt I was, you know, I wanted to put in some, you know, I, I, I was, I realized like I was terrible at skateboarding and it wasn't <laughs> that great, so I might as well try something else, right? So I guess the the guitar <laughs> is what I gravitated to. <laughs> With I mean, did you have any like did you get formal lessons or just you were just like learning off? No, I've never I've never taken um, any lessons, and that's the one thing I probably guess I I kind of um, regret. But I mean, I I've, I've been you know very lucky for people to show me things or you know, to <clears throat> go to places where, you know, live music's playing and just stare at the, the, the band long enough and try to figure out stuff. And occasionally, I mean, I remember, uh, um, you know, Isa showed me like my first uh, seven sharp ninth chord, uh, you know, when we were hanging out and then we were like, oh, this is so cool. The Hendrix chord. Okay, cool. What can I do with this? You know, right. and then the ninth. And so it was like little, little things, you know, just uh, picking up little things from people here and there. When, when, how old were you when, when this was when this was happening? God, I can't remember. Must have been in like secondary three, sec three or sec four. I think it was, yeah, around that time. So about fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I mean, then how did you? How do you guys? How do you decide to start um, your your first? Was Livonia your first band? 
Colony was my first band. I mean, except for like, um, you know, little crappy bands in secondary school where we're just trying <laughs> to get stuff together. But yeah, I mean, I guess I had the bug because, you know, I, I really wanted to, you know, I, I was listening to, you know, at that point of time, I think The Odd Fellows was on radio mm. and um, they were starting to play gigs. And, you know, I remember seeing the videos on like, uh, we didn't have MTV, but we had like this program. I, mean, I can't remember. I remember seeing like the So Happy video. And I was like, oh, that's so, you know, that's really cool. Like, uh, you know, and then picking up Big O magazine and uh, getting a feel for like what was going on. I was like, wow, this is a whole other world out there. That's, mm. that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys actually um, get together um, to form Livonia then? Um, I think it was an... How did we do that? Yeah, so the funny thing was, um, you know, it was an issue of Big O, I think. I responded to a magazine, uh, to an ad that, uh, back then everybody was using ads to start down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robin put an ad out and I remember him saying yeah. something about like looking for somebody into uh, Big Black Pixies and uh, <laughs> I know it was some other weird kind of thing that was so incongruous with that. But I thought like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's give it a shot and see what happens. Okay. For those who don't know, Robin is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robin is our drummer um, uh, of uh, Robin Chua. Um, now he's a DJ and, uh, you know, he does like all sorts of cool stuff, spinning and yeah. And uh, he's still playing music right now with, uh, with, with shelves and uh, yeah. And yes, he has a outlet right now. He's like a has a dining place, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's involved in that. Uh, it's like they've got vinyl, and he play and you know, mute. But I think we're not allowed to play music now. Still, no. <laughs> that happens. I'm sure he'll he'll be on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got you 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 uh, you hooked up with Robin first. Yeah. And the rest of the band fell into place. So. It, it did. I think Robin had been jamming. You know, we, we, we were calling, we were speaking on the phone. And then I think about a couple of weeks later, he said that, oh, he's kind of like put a few people together. Are you still mm-hmm. keen? And then I thought like, yeah, I, I'd show them and, and, and try. And it was only later, a couple, you know, like when we first, after we met and everything, and I realized that, hey, yeah, when I was, you know, a couple of years before that, when I was younger, I used to buy records from you. He was, I think, running a record store. He was working in a record store in Centerpoint. And I was buying some of like um, some CDs and tapes from him and I get him to recommend music. And that's, you know, it's like, wow, small world. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> memory ain't so good these days. Yeah, yeah. But I just, yeah. yeah. Well, how do you do, I mean, like, uh, Having having got together, then what was what was that like? I mean, you're getting your getting your your rehearsals together. Um, yeah, I I think I I I think I must have been my first year in junior college, if I'm not mistaken. I think wow. that was that was when uh, we first started rehearsing, and I remember uh, going to my first uh, rehearsal session and meeting them, and I was like still my school uniform. So I think I chucked on a Dinosaur Junior t-shirt that I had and, you know, trying my best to not look too geeky and nerdy and yeah, <laughs> my guitar and uh, just uh, found my way to, uh, uh, was it, I think it must, must have been uh, Boone at Aljunet, I think, I can't remember. Uh, okay. What, uh, what, uh, okay, so like when you get together, you start rehearsing. So, I mean, normally for new bands, right, you you, you play covers, right? So, yeah, so, so what, what did you guys play? What covers did you all play? Uh, I think uh, there was a Ride cover and there was a Catherine Real cover. And I'd only heard Ride, but uh, I think somewhere on the bus, 
or something on the way over. Uh, I, I think I met I met Robin first, and then we were um, you know going to the jam, and he was like, "Okay, can you listen to this? We'll try this." And it was it was a band called Catherine Wheel that I, mm. I heard, but I heard that and I was like, "Oh, I really like this. Let let me see if I can I can you know f- f- like figure it out in my head and just play it at the jam." And, and we did, and you know, I, 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 I think I kind of like. I mean, it was this, it was a simple song with like three chords in it, right? I think, uh, but I think it was "Intravenous" by Catherine Wheel, and I was like, oh, this, this, this song's great. And uh, we played that at the rehearsal after hearing it, like you know, just like once on the bus over, and uh, I think they felt like, okay, this guy can figure that out on the way over on the bus, so uh, maybe he doesn't suck. <laughs> He's a keeper. <laughs> Junior college kid in his partial school uniform. Yeah, so I, think I proved my I, I proved my worth back then. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so what was that like? Uh, you know, you get together, you you rehearse, and where, where was your first gig, and what what happened? Wow, um, I am pretty sure memory serves me right. The first gig we played at was at MPH. Remember MPH? Uh, yeah, yeah. Road. Yes. Powerhouse? Power uh, yeah, no, the record store and the bookshop. And mm. I think there were like, there was a series of gigs there. And uh, I remember we couldn't even play a proper full gig because like, you know, obviously there were no uh, drums and everything. So I think we, we, we hooked up a drum machine and some, you know, I think uh, jo- Joseph had an acoustic guitar and I just plugged in an electric and Amy played bass. But I think that was the first gig that we played. And I remember because it was, um, I think just before I enlisted, uh, I think it was like a few weeks before I enlisted in the army. So uh, the first and last show before uh, yeah, getting all my hair <laughs> taken off. So yeah. you and NS, everything else was put on hold, like band-wise and all that. Yeah, almost. I mean, we would still, I would still try to get some time out to rehearse on the weekends occasionally, and we would try to write songs together, but uh, yeah, not a lot that you can do back in mm. the Yeah. Um, I think we, I'm pretty sure we had just kind of recorded our first uh, demo um, the self before that, if I, and I think it came out while I was still in the army. I, I can't remember I, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, but we didn't get to play many shows. Um, in fact, yeah, we didn't get to play any shows at all. Mm. So after you got out, um, you know how what happened? Like, how do you guys? Do you guys could you guys reconnect easily or? Yeah, I mean, we were always, you know, we'd always been in touch as much as we could and we'd still try to write. So, um, yeah, um, especially, you know, towards the end of the army stint, then, you know, um, you don't, I, I, I was in a unit that um, I could um, book out uh, most days, um, you know, so I had a little bit more time. So by that time, upon entry, you know, it's just heading into um, uni, I had a bit more time in my hands. So, yeah, we, we could rehearse, um, we could write, and I think we were recording the second EP sometime around there. We're working on that. I think the second EP came out in 97, I think. So yeah, after I finished in 96, 97, we probably found that time to, you know, uh, write the new songs and and, and record them at uh, TNT again. about that because a lot of bands they will record their one album or their one EP and then that will be it you know no, no more 
um, like a lot of them were like a few of them were like one album bands, even yeah. those that were signed to the to the to right. the labels and stuff. But I think Lavonia is one of those few that were consistent in putting out EPs and singles um, yeah. as the years went by. Like, could you could you talk a bit about that? Like, what 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 was your impetus to to put out all these EPs and stuff? I mean, I I guess everyone was just you know everybody in the band needed an outlet, and everyone found music to be it. So. And we all just wanted to just have fun and try to do the stuff and play the shows. And, you know, and, uh, you know, back then, I guess the idea of being on Bagel was already as like, oh, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a little scene, but um, it was fun. And, you know, we we were all kind of, you know, friends with other bands and, you know, we, we enjoyed the music, we enjoyed the scene. It was very exciting. I mean, it was, we didn't have anything to really compare ourselves to because, you know, the internet mm. was a frequency back then, right? And most people didn't even have that. I think I only had the internet sometime around like uh, towards, I remember towards the end of my, um, my, my army days. So I remember it was probably around 96 or so mm. uh, where I got my first account. And, you know, even then it was like <sighs> terribly slow. Yeah, dial up, yeah. I remember that sound that it made, you know, <laughs> yeah. sound with, and, and, you know, you, you couldn't make a phone call and, you know, but uh, and it was really slow, but, you know, slowly you little bits of information about the outside world would kind of trickle in. Um, otherwise it was before that was just magazines, right? It was just music magazines, but the internet, I guess was, you know, with, I remember with news groups and stuff, it was a little bit mm. more immediate to find out what people were thinking and people were doing. And um, I think it was through news groups and chats. And um, I can't remember what was it. It must have been an IRC chat or something. You know, I found people in other parts of the world. And, you know, um, some people, we'd make, we'd make mixtapes for each other and, and send it to each other and stuff like that. And that's how I picked up a lot of other kinds of music as well, like um, some of the more experimental stuff or some punk bands and you know that's yeah that's how we sort of like broadened our music knowledge because you couldn't really download music I mean you'd probably spend the whole night <laughs> trying to download a really crappy <laughs> mp3 and then it would be like a virus or something you know yeah yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah so you know people were still doing things the old school way making tapes and cds for each other and sending and I remember yeah yeah so, so one thing I, I like, we were, I was talking to Chris as well about it. One thing I always noticed about the Livonia uh, so-called EP uh, cassettes was that everything seemed to be very uh, stylish and uh, everything seemed to be designed very well. Like, so like, even like your publicity photographs, you guys with umbrellas and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and suits and all that stuff. So everything seemed to be very much, you know, very, very professional looking. Like. So what, 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 what's behind that, all, the, uh, all that, yeah. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I think uh, Joseph, our singer, and Robin, I think they had a lot of, like, creative ideas, and, uh, you know, they were just willing to try to push it and do things, so I think they had some friends, I think one of Joseph's friends, uh, Dominic, was, um, you know, help, he wanted to uh, help us with the photos, and I think that was the first batch of photos with the umbrellas and the suit. <laughs> And a weird lady magician in the corner that you could see at the corner of it if you noticed hard enough. But it was just that kind of weird, surrealistic kind of stuff that, uh, yeah, I guess people thought was fun. I mean, I guess even back then, you know, the idea that, yeah, it's, it's something a little bit different than just like just taking a standard box standard photo, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's funny that, uh, yeah. That, that happened I forgot about that I mean it's like now that you mentioned it's like I'm suddenly remembering the photo shoot and where we took it it was at <laughs> temple at uh, uh you know at the corner of uh, our uh, near um on the way to the the, the rehearsal studio um is it Macpherson yeah somewhere around that but it was an Indian temple there I think that that's all I can remember and I remember like you know, like, okay, how do I get a suit? I don't have a suit. None of us have suits. Let's see what I can wrangle out of my home or my uncle, you know, to borrow suits, borrow ties, see whoever could just pull together stuff and just pass it around and see what fits. <laughs> well, speaking about that as well, I mean, uh, okay. I mean, you mentioned Big O earlier and all that. And I think the first time ever uh, Livonia came into my consciousness was... Um, I think on the, the singles, the singles or the CDs that they gave out. And I think one of your songs, um, 
vengeance is mine right on that yeah yeah I, I, that, that that it was and i think uh, yeah i i think uh, the singles club that was kind of after the new school rock right uh, i remember there was new school rock or one and uh, you know with uh, with op and op and uh, and the odd fellows and uh, c1359 i remember have that on on cd and then there was new school rock too and that your band was in it right chris if i'm not mistaken yeah Postcards, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Great song, yeah. I remember that. That was a great song. I, I remember uh, a wall and uh, and the album even. But uh, and then I think that there was the new school. Uh, there was the singles club stuff, and um, you know, I I can't even remember how that came about. But we had the opportunity, and I, and you know, for the first time, um, I think we recorded at a um, you know, I mean. Our boy TNT was was great and everything, but um, you know it was like a small little studio. And um, you know, I remember when our boy still was using you know in our first um, EP self, um, you know he had just got his uh, ADAT recorder. I, I think it was on digital tape, and then he mixed it on ADAT. So um, I remember we were I think the first or second band. I think the first band that did it was Breed, which is Astral, you know now. Um, and then I think we were the second band to actually record using using that. Um, so it was, um, you know, um, but um, for New School, I mean, for the uh, Vengeance is Mine, we recorded it at Lion Studio, which um, I think was, I remember it to be a really fancy studio. And I heard it was like, um, you know, really professional kind of recording studio back in the day and stuff. So it was like, oh, this is, this is big. It's so different. Uh, you know, my idea of a studio was like a really small little place, uh, but but Lion was like a complete um, opposite. And of course, back then it was before I knew anything about like gear or how to get a good sound or anything. I was just like winging it off the top of my head. I did no, not know half the time what I was plugging into, um, you know, how to get a good tone, how to get it balanced. I, I was probably using like some horrific um, guitar pedals at that point of time or around then you know we're going from like individual stone boxes which i should have stuck with to a one of those digital uh digitech things that was like you know just i remember taking years to try to get a decent tone out of it and uh yeah it was difficult but i remember the experience of being like all of a sudden like oh this is all really professional um but of course we were guided a lot by the engineers because like, i had no idea what to do except like just to play the song How did, that, how did that song come about anyway? Yeah, that was uh, one of Robin's tunes. And, uh, you know, um, I, 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 remember, I can't remember how it evolved into the string thing, but I remember, um, you know, um, I think uh, Randolph helped us with the string parts, um, you know, and uh, I remember he didn't do it in a keyboard. He did it on one of his guitars um, to get the, um, the uh, one of his synth-enabled guitars. Um, so um, that was uh, quite interesting because it's the first time we'd ever used um, keyboards or anything like that in in our music. Yeah. Well, can, I mean, like that was, uh, I mean, that was an original track. And did you guys try to, I mean, when you guys put out your EPs, all that you wrote all the songs. Um, yeah. 
Was that a thing you guys like? Oh, did you did you? We have to keep churning out all these tunes ourselves. Yeah, I guess everybody had like their own. You know, I mean, when you're young, you just like you know, you just like you have so many ideas, right? So everybody had their own riffs, their own songs, and everybody brought something to the table. And we'd work on somebody's song each time. We'd work on somebody's song, and we would, um, you know, then add to it and change it up. And I mean, it's kind of like. Um, you know, um, somebody will come in as the principal songwriter and that with a riff or an idea. And I mean, for Robin's stuff, it's like, you know, Robin at that point didn't even play, uh, I mean, he's a drummer, but he didn't play guitar. So I remember him like humming the thing or, you know, like kind of like going jang, 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 you know, <laughs> and this is how we do it. So we'll try to figure it out from there. So it was like really old school kind of like just, um, okay, you've got this idea in your head. How do we help you realize it? Yeah. Okay, okay. And Joseph was like, um, I have no idea what chords these are. I have no idea what they are. I'll just play them. And I was like, Joseph, I don't think that chord even exists. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, some weird little F thing with an open thing. But he come because he was like, um, he had no training, but he would just go by ear. So he was able to come up with stuff that was, you know, quite unusual and inventive. Um, whereas on the other hand, I was, I didn't have any lessons myself, but I guess I was a little bit more of a, okay, let's pick up things from guitar magazines or from, you know, records and stuff. So I, I, I focused a little bit more on the theory. So I was kind of able to string together some stuff. I knew a little bit more about music, I guess, from, from a theoretical perspective. So I guess it was a nice way to really just see different people's approaches and see how we would work together, you know, where uh, some guy knows something, other people don't know, it's like this broad spectrum, and then we just come together and something might come out of it. And if it doesn't sound right, then we tweak it until it sounds right, and there you go. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot. What What's your best or worst thing about Livonia? I think some of the best things were, you know, especially when we were first starting out, we were all really close. I mean, we would, um, you know, we would hang out a lot as friends. We had a lot of, you know, and we, we, we kind of like grew up together, right, in that sense of trying to make music. So we were actually very close for a while. And I remember like working late into the nights. But of course, um, we all had different personalities. We all had different backgrounds. So I guess we all had to also come to terms with that, right? Had to address each other in a different uh, context out of the band as well. But somehow we made it work and, you know, we were friends for, uh, as well as bandmates, which was, you know, something that was pretty interesting. Okay. So um, yeah. What was the worst, I guess, you know, because of, um, again, when, you, you know, we were younger, I guess, um, you know, sometimes, you know, as you get older, you get a little bit better at expressing yourself, at framing things better, becoming more, um, cog you know, um, cognizant of other people's feelings and things that they're not saying, which I guess when, you know, we didn't really think about back then. So I guess, you know, sometimes people accidentally stepped on somebody else's toes once in a while, even though, you know, while, while creating music and, you know, and then I guess people might not have wanted to say certain things out and then, and, you know, so I guess, yeah, you know, and maybe we all came from different places. So we weren't on the page, on the same page um, a lot of the time, especially in our later years. You know, each of us wanted to do other things. And we, you know, I, I guess that common ground sort of like started to slip away after a number of years, which is kind of natural. People grow apart as friends and as, as a unit as well. But I guess we weren't great at really addressing it and being honest with each other until uh, until a number of years later, actually. Uh, so, when did when did Livonia finally like uh, decided to call it a day? Um, you know, uh, Robin left uh, in about uh, ninety uh, eight, I think, or so. I, he wanted to do other things. I think he wasn't feeling it, so um, Alfie stepped up as a replacement. Um, and, you know, um, I think after that, I guess the feeling kind of changed, right? You know, once you have a, mm. uh, uh, such a core member who's left, things were different. I mean, it was, there were some great moments with Alfie and we put out some interesting stuff and it was a very different experience, his approach to drumming as well. But, uh, um, you know, it kind of didn't feel the same. Um, and then I think after a while, um, you know, once we recorded our first album, I think that would have been in 
99 or 2000 um, uh, triple grande skinny latte. Yeah, we did that with Lennox Day. And um, after a while, we did a couple more gigs. And then I think it just felt like, um, okay, there were a lot of things happening with our own personal lives. And, um, you know, music was, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, the band scene in Singapore, you know, was really viable to pursue music anyway. So everyone was kind of doing um, it in between their jobs or um, between our studies, you know, in my case. And um, then Joseph decided like, yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd leave. And then after that, it was pretty much, yeah, you know, do we really want to continue and find someone else or just call it a day? Um, so we decided like, let's just continue for a little while as a three piece, um, you know, just for fun. Uh, you know, because musically we still wanted to play, but you know, we just after a while realized that we didn't want to push it on further uh, with this lineup. So we just like, okay, let's bow out. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, that. I think you were saying right, you kind of split like early two thousands, right? Yeah. So actually, if you if you look back, right, from about ninety seven to about two or three, it was a really bad time, right, in Singapore. Yeah, and because you had like financial crisis, and then you had nine eleven. Yes. Then you had SARS, right? Yeah. So I do remember it's like it was really a bad time for the the music scene. So what what do you remember, like from that time? Yeah, I mean, I I remember a lot of underground gigs, and um, you know, um, there was a lot of good punk rock stuff and you know it just felt very underground but at the same time it felt that that's the maximum headroom you could go it just felt like you couldn't you know the time of like you know a few years earlier like pre-98 you know uh the perfect 10 would play us i mean um you know and bands like concave scream would get airtime humback oak um and, but then after during that period from about 98 to the early 2000s, all of a sudden, it was like nobody wanted to touch local music. I think Big O stopped as well sometime around then, right? When were their last issues around two, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, about early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And then things got really quiet. And uh, yeah, I remember it to be uh, kind of like, uh, um, you know, dark days. And, you know, I think it was only, uh, in fact, uh, you know, maybe segueing into electrical it was only kind of after that where there was a bit of a renaissance again i mean i remember with like electrical park jelly the observatory you know that's when kind of there was a bit more of a mainstream uh you know acceptance again like maybe let's delve into this and let's look into what we, we can do and what we can get on radio and get in you know the public radar again but uh, yeah there was definitely a gap um, from the late 90s to the very early 2000s Right from two thousand is is significant because there was the Esplanade, right? So the Esplanade like was 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 basically started in two thousand, so they kind of like you know with babies and all that, so that kind of helped to kind of get a new, another wave of, of of local music, so to speak, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it did, um, you know, um, and I think there were um, other you know, and then with with that happening, I think there were some other new underground venues that started to pop up, especially for the younger bands, um, you know, so they had that gap as well. But, um, you know, I remember in like in the, in the mid nineties and the early nineties, uh, the kind of gigs that we would have outdoors, um, you know, at like uh, at outside uh, the HMV, for example, or, you know, those kind of public things um, or, or the youth park, um, it started to drop off again. Um, and it didn't really come back for quite a long while, um, you know, until maybe, yeah, until the, the mid 2000s, I think. I think it's significant to know if my memory serves that, that uh, Benches is Mine actually did very well on the radio charts, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it might have gone to number one on purpose. Yeah, that's why I recall. So so it's pretty decent, right? <laughs> Robin got a we we got a compass award out of that. Ha ha ha. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't think there was any money in it. <laughs> no, I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so so how I mean like since you mentioned electrical, how did you how do you get into into electrical? Um, uh, I can't. I think this must have been around. 2003 or something like that and I mean I met the guys you know b before that when they were in electric company and they were playing and I think I ran into uh, Dave and we were talking 
uh, one day, I think at, he was, he might've been spinning in a club somewhere and we were talking and then, um, you know, he mentioned about like putting a band together again and just seeing what would happen. And uh, yeah, I just went along for the ride and just, you know, and uh, we went for some rehearsals and we started um, writing songs that became the uh, first album. Mm. So, so you were you were them for like the first album, um, right? Yeah, I was with them for the first two albums. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, what was that? I mean, like you know, coming off Livonia, um, and then as you said, I mean, I I I guess you guys would be feeling like, you know, with the the idea of like what what's what's it all about? <laughs> Did you ever feel like that? Feel like that? And and like um, but then getting this new band and stuff like what was what was that like for you? Yeah, and that point of time, I was uh, I was working. I was uh, working as a uh, junior lawyer, and uh, you know, um, obviously, life as a junior lawyer is not the best time in that you could have, <laughs> right? So, I guess it kind of dovetailed back then with my, um, you know, my my willingness to think about music again and as an outlet and maybe even something a bit more um and i guess um you know it started out as like yeah i need some some stress relief and i need to play but then you know listening to songs i thought yeah these songs kind of catchy i think some of them are could you know we could this might go somewhere if we kind of pushed it so um you know i thought like um you know um as it as we started finishing up the recording of the album i think it came clearer to me that, yeah, you know, if we want to try to do this, now might be a good chance to try to take it more seriously um, and, uh, you know, think about um, whether I should, like, um, quit my job and, um, you know, maybe do something else a little less uh, demanding while I try to see how far I can take it this time around. So I guess it was a, it was a different, you know, a couple of different factors, you know, first of all, after not touching music profession, you know, for a few years, all of a sudden you just kind of feel re-energized and then, you know, with new people, new creative minds, and, you know, you just feel a bit more like um, willing to try something new and um, giving things a shot. Wow. I mean, I, I remember watching, I can't remember which album it was, but it was a, I think you guys did a launch uh, gig at uh Somewhere in Centerpoint, Emerald Hill, there was a. Oh yes, uh, what was that place called? <laughs> yeah, uh, I know now. I mean, I, I can remember, but I absolutely can't remember the name of that place. But yeah, it was like uh, it. It wasn't the. It wasn't like the beer place, but it was mm -hmm. near it, right? It was near that. Yeah. That, yeah, that area. Um, but yeah, it was like this light. Um, yeah, it was a venue that was used for live music, I think, every now and then. And I'm not sure how we managed to rent it, but I remember we did our album launch there. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I mean, I brought, I brought, I brought my band down and everybody was like, wow, who is this? Who are these guys? You know, they've got this cool new vibe. Uh, it was, I mean, you know, I have to say all the songs on that first album were quite catchy. <laughs> pop, yeah. <laughs> Come on, it was, it was, it was pop. Uh, it's uh, you know, fun rock and roll, um, you know, but yeah, yeah, but uh, it had a lot of potential um, commercial appeal. So, yeah. So, sorry. Um, so I want you to just maybe contrast a little bit in terms of uh, Livonia and Electrical, in terms of uh, just from the, the perspective of fan response, what, what was the difference like between the two? Yeah, with Livonia, we had no fans. With <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess so yes fans yes finally there were some um, I, I guess uh, yeah um, I don't know but um, being on the radio and stuff I guess brought us to a different audience you know a, a younger audience um, that um, I guess the internet was starting to get a little bit more nascent back then you know uh, there was Friendster and then MySpace after that. So I think people were more connected online. Um, digital music was more um, available from streaming on, you know, MySpace. People would go to MySpace to check out music. I remember um, quite a fair bit. We just, we didn't have any, you know, Spotify was still many years away, but, uh, you know, people were starting to use the internet to listen to music and um, um, it became easier 
um, to find music and find out information about bands, um, you know, using this new tool. Mm. So one of our running themes is uh, local bands opening for foreign bands and what that experience right, looked right. like. Was there any any experience like that for Electrical? Yeah. Uh, you ooh. did, right? The Bravery, right? if I yes, remember. Yes, I remember. Yes, 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 The Bravery. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we couldn't get the stroke, so it had to be the bravery. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, that, that first album that, that had some, some nice songs. But yeah, I remember, I think that was our first support slot. Well, I mean, but of course, you actually left the band um, sometime in 2007 or something like that. It was 2008, uh, the, at the very beginning of 2008, yeah. Right, right. But by was, the time you're done South By, right? Yeah, we danced yeah. off. I, I broke my freaking knee. <laughs> uh, like a lot of time in rehab and starting to realize that, you know, I'm just getting a little bit too old for this crap. <laughs> um, not yeah. That. So yeah. I, I think our audience, you know, you know, such as it is, right, needs to listen to that story, man. <laughs> South by story, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. We we got a gig at South by Southwest. Uh, you know, us and the Great Spy Experiment. Uh, we were the first Singapore bands to apply and uh, to um, get the invite. So just thought, yeah, it might be a good ride. So we put together some dates for a bit of a small tour before and after. So the day before, I think that you know, a couple of dates before the Southwest appearance, a couple of days. Uh, you know, we got a gig at, um, at this little indie music fest in San Antonio in um, Texas as well, another city. And, um, you know, I just kind of been off a flight. I was buzzed off my rockers, uh, doing some crazy stage moves. And at the, on the very last song, uh, ill-timed jump went wrong and uh, my leg just, my knee just went pop. And it was not fun. It was like, whoa, <laughs> that really kind of um, hurt. And luckily it was in, uh, literally on the last song. So at least we managed to finish the set. Uh, and then, you know, cue um, a lot of paramedics and Vicodin and a little bit of drama and the very expensive medical system in, in America. Uh, you know, my first brush with that, oh, Jesus, that's expensive. You know, I was thinking to myself, uh, Get, get me on a cast and for somebody to snap my my knee back into place. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, um, so um, the next couple nights uh, in, in, you know, after wearing, I wasn't wearing a cast, I was in, in a knee brace, uh, hobbling around on that and a crutch, um, you know, basically uh, up to the gills on Vicodin as painkillers, um, you know, and uh, yeah, we still had about um, five more shows to go five or six more shows to go around different parts of, uh, of California and, um, and South by. So yeah, uh, I was playing South by and kind of like, uh, with a chair behind me where I was like trying to half sit, half stand and step on pedals at the right moment, <laughs> which is really hard when you only have one leg to do so. Um, but yeah, um, but I think all in all, it, uh, it, it could have been worse. <laughs> So you you did a Dave Grohl before Dave Grohl did it. Yeah, except he got a throne and have a you know a, a crappy little uh, um, uh, what what they call one of those things? crutch yeah one of the crutch and a yeah and uh, yeah but uh, that was exciting but yet weird and you know kind of wasted as well because I would have loved to be in better walking shape um, to enjoy the rest of um, South By. Uh, but I still managed to catch quite a fair number of uh, shows around, um, you know, hobbling from one venue or in some cases, getting, um, you know, lucky enough to ride one of those like little tri-shaws that were going around the venue for different venues to hail and just getting on it. So at least it wasn't completely wasted for me. So how long was it after you left the electrical um... And then uh, you, you started um, in each hand a cutlass. About three months, probably. <laughs> well, that's quick. <laughs> I only know because I left in before, uh, I, I left at the beginning of um, 
2018, just when the band was, I think they would have were just about finishing the their third record. Um, 208, lah, you mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, so see, <laughs> <laughs> it's all loose and loosey goosey and fluid, right? <laughs> yeah, time is a flat circle and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, two thousand eight. So uh, um, yeah, and then you know I um, really wanted to still continue, but doing my own spin and trying a different kind of music. I mean, you know, electrical was nice and fun and everything but you know again it was like a you know a pop band it was very commercial and um, you know I guess I've always leaned a little bit um, differently to music taste so I wanted an outlet for myself and um, you know I've been listening to a lot of um, you know um, post-rock um, a little bit more metal and progressive music and I wanted to do something um, along those lines but at the same time uh, something that was a little bit more instrumental. Uh, I didn't want it. I knew it would not be commercial. I did not really care about doing anything commercial, but uh, found some like-minded folks um, and uh, formed um, the first um, iteration of Inichana Cutlass. Um, and, um, you know, I think it was, you know, a couple months later when we finally found um, Jordan, our drummer, um, to replace um, the previous drummer, that that's when things really started to um, gel. And then, you know, we wrote and we just went to um, Snakeweed, uh, gave Leonard a call, said like, um, I want to record something. So we just recorded our first song and I think we, we put it out in the same year. Yeah, I think it, we put it out around September or so in that year. So probably about six or seven months after I left the band, um, started putting out new material. Amanda but at that time? Yes, we had just uh, roped in Amanda uh, at the end of uh, that record. Just, uh, yes, when we were writing the last few bits of, of, of that. Right. Yeah, so, so for, I mean, like, I guess for people on a public perspective, um, you know, that would be the first time we've heard you and, and I guess um, if we, Amanda as well come in together and the music is so vastly different from anything that you guys had put out uh, before, were you were you surprised by that that um, kind of a reaction? Because I mean, since you mentioned that, you know, that's the kind of music that maybe not the general public would kind like, of go yeah, for. Yeah, it's pretty much nobody except just a handful of people who <laughs> want to listen to something like that, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was not under any illusions that we'd achieve any amount of commercial success. I mean, an instrumental band. Uh, it's not quite possible. And, and and furthermore, we didn't really have a, I mean, a fixed identity. We didn't want to be one thing. We we wanted to, I really just wanted it to be like, you know, a vehicle for any kind of song that we wanted to put out. Some songs were really light, breezy, you know, soulful. Others were heavy. And, you know, so it was just, we didn't really have a direction in many ways. I think the only direction we had was the fact that we wanted it to be kind of, Cinem very cinematic, um, you know, very movie-like, um, you know, for movies in your head and just a kind of like, you know, whatever you, you know, um, you know, how, how's the best way to put it? Um, you know, we didn't want to let the preconceived ideas of, um, you know, genres or styles or what's cool or what isn't cool, you know, factor into play. So if we liked it and we thought it rocked and it made us happy for one reason or other, we just do that. And mm -hmm. I want it to be collaborative as well. You know, I wanted like, you know, why I would write most of the songs or most of the riffs. It was, you know, I, I'm, you can only take a riff so far without other people, um, you, you know, 
I, I feel needing to come in and put their spin on it because it gives you a new perspective. A lot of the songs that started out in my head uh, ended up very differently once, you know, different people added their own flavors um, on top of it, which, uh, yeah, which, which is what I really like about making music. I find I, I make music best um, collaboratively with other people. So do you think that uh, basically Cutlass came at um, a fairly good time in the sense that like 2008 to 2010, uh, the, the, the Singapore scene was like, the music scene was opening up to a lot of different music? It was, wasn't it? There was, yeah. you know, I think um, that was really a, a great resurgence of like, you know, so many different musical styles and, and creative people doing their thing. And, um, and I think because of the internet and, you know, spreading music that way, I think, um, you know, the focus wasn't anymore on like, we need us, people need a song that gets played on radio because radio wasn't the only way to get your music out. Um, I think by then radio had kind of like eased up on playing local stuff. Yep. I guess there still was stuff once in a while, but I can't really recall was anybody big on mainstream radio. I mean, I only use mainstream radio as a reference because I've always felt that, you know, with any scene, like the underground scene, the alternative scene, it's a flip side. Uh, it's, it's, it's the same. It's, you know, the, the opposite side of the coin, right? Um, it, it's, you know, to the, the the main to what's on in the in the mainstream. So if you have a strong mainstream, you will have a kind of strong underground scene as well. But I mean, I mean, I'm not sure in 2008, 2010, whether radio was what was the barometer for the mainstream anymore. I don't think it was. I think people were starting to use like, um, you know, um, online uh, zines or sites as kind of their um, go-to source for music information. Yeah, I think I think YouTube yeah. became yeah. suddenly a very big thing. A lot yeah. of local guys started going on YouTube, just mm -hmm. doing their thing. So let's say from 2008 to about 2011, you know, radio don't play at all. No local yeah. music. Zero. Mm. Yeah, zero. <laughs> so only until like you have like, you know, like I say, you have, because the major labels got back in, and they were disputing and they have a signing, right? So then of course the major labels have clout. Yeah. So then, then they then obviously they would support the major labels. Lah. But if you're like an indie joker, they're like, eh. So maybe maybe you can talk a bit more about uh, your second album though, uh, with Inish Hannah Cutlass uh Kraken. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is way different. I mean, well to me, it's uh, between the between universe middle strings and, and Kraken, it's it's quite a quite a leap as well musically for I guess just another chance to do something um, different sounding and um, you know um, I think with uh, the Kraken we wanted to kind of get something that was more thematic uh, we kind of got um, heavier in places as well we want you know and um, at, at the same time I think it's a less commercial album um, you know I think uh, we wanted a little bit more freedom to explore uh, you know, uh, different kinds of sounds and, and, and song ideas. So, um, and um, I think we wanted to get a little bit more um, technical as well. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, some of the crack, some of the stuff on the crack and I can barely remember how to play it. It's like, <laughs> it's, uh, I can't, I can't remember how it goes because there's just so many parts, you know, it's so syncopated. It's so, uh, technical, um, you kind of need to be playing it all the time in your head. If you lay off it for a while, um, picking it up again, it's just like takes forever. I know because I've tried. I've tried like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And like, okay, how did I do that? This is taking a lot more time to remember. Uh, whereas like the universe stuff is, um, you know, it's kind of um, more, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier on the years and in terms of structure. We hadn't kind of gone to like, um, you know, exploring structure as a means of like, um, uh, of really doing the most that we could, you know, to, to the best of our technical ability. 
playing with the ideas of structure, which is kind of what we did with uh, the Kraken in many ways. Gonna, I'm gonna just ask you, your favorite favorite tracks as a cutlass. Oh wow! Um, I mean, I guess the the, the ones uh, everyone loves. Uh, a lot of people love glaciers, and I do like that a lot because that was the first one of the first pieces I wrote for cutlass. I think it was the first song I wrote for cutlass, um, and um, you know. Um, and so it has a lot of meaning. Um, I love Inspector Cutlass off the first album um, because I think it's got a very noirish feel. And I think that was our first real, very cinematic kind of thematic noir kind of approach that we wanted to go for, but with some, um, you know, groovy, medley, um, syncopated stuff. Um, so mm. those are some of the highlights um, on the Kraken. Um, you know, I, we're really proud of the crack, the song, The Kraken itself, which we split up into three parts um, because um, that, but it's a lot of work to remember. Um, the, uh, the, the um, other song on that one um, that's big is Sator, for me is uh, Satori because mm. um, it's a very pop-like, um, very breezy, uh, fun kind of song to play and um, you know it's kind of almost dancey in some parts without being electronic but um, it was just yet another side of the band that um, we hadn't done but uh, yeah yeah I think it's fair to say that the Kraken is probably the one and only Singapore progressive rock album no, I'm sure there are others. Uh, I remember Zero Sequence. Uh, Zero Sequence uh, did that, uh, and that we, they were doing it like even earlier, uh, and they were really uh, doing it the prog rock, you know, dream theater kind of thing. Which oh, okay, I, uh, I don't really think of dream theater as progressive rock. <laughs> yeah. so, sorry, I know what you mean. I'm just like I, I, I do love prog. Somehow, dream theater has never done it for me. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> You know, wonderful musicians and everything, but uh, I just just yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I mean. Like the Kraken, like the song itself, it's like very seventies. It is. It is rock, which is you know I don't think I've heard something like that on a you know made in Singapore album. Yeah, we did. We 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 definitely were going old school for that one. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, where where does where does uh, Daniel and and any kind of cutlers go from there? Uh, I think we'll see what COVID, what, what happens and mm. how long more this we take to get out of this. But also because, you know, I think we all hit a stage where, you know, um, a couple of us are, me, me and Sujit, we're in our 40s now, you know, and that's like a bad word for anybody, you know. <laughs> But no, I mean, but at the same time, it also means that you kind of like the day-to-day -day responsibilities have just started to add up and, uh, you know, and um, yeah, everyone's in the midst of different things, whether it's career, houses, families, you know, so that does kind of slow down, you know, put, it kind of puts the brakes on. Mm. Um, and I think you become a little bit more jaded or a lot more jaded. And I mean, you know, when we were doing Cutlass, it was always about let's just have fun. Let's just use it as an outlet for music. So we were never under pressure to meet timelines or deadlines or anything like that. You know, we just we just want to put out some music, play a few shows, um, have fun. And, um, you know, and we, you know, that that was always the agenda of the band. And, um, you know, um, because of that, um, you know, we still want to do it and we still want to um, to continue and we still have songs that are being written, but 
we're not under any illusions that, you know, if we put out something or we put out another full length album, it's going to change anything about the music landscape or about ourselves in it. So I guess priorities are slightly different. Um, so when everybody wants to get together to really focus, um, you know, we'll put out some new songs. Um, but until then, um, you know, I think we're just, we'll just wait and um, see and, uh, you know, write a little bit, hang out with each other. I mean, the thing is, we all, we, we, we see each other more in a social context than in a band context. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's fun. You know, sometimes that's much more fun because getting together for a meal or hanging out or for a drink uh, can be a little more, you know, can, it kind of, that is almost our focus away from reality you know because sometimes the doing the work and put and playing the music and writing the songs that kind of gets in the way again and then everybody goes like okay but I've got a work thing I've got other things on my mind so sometimes it's less stressful to just see each other for you know something that's completely not related to music rather than to create music because we didn't want to create stress with each other when we write music and I think uh, we're at a certain point that if we pushed it too hard, um, there would be too much, um, you know, um, it's just too much um, effort um, for uh, us to devote to. So taking it easy, baby steps at a time, um, you know, and, and the writing process is always drawn out with Cutlass because yeah, the, the songs take a while to grow and develop and they, the songs take a life of their own that only really, you know, um, you know, come, uh, only gets to another level when they have enough time, when we have enough time to explore of each other and for, you know, for us to, for the parts to really interact and, and, and percolate around. Um, it's not something that you just kind of throw out there. Yeah. Mm. So like, like more or less, right? You've been involved in the Singapore music scene coming up to 30 years, right? Coming up to about 30 years, right? So I just want you to think about, right? You, as you reflect on that, like what, what are your thoughts about, what about the experience of being, you know, in the Singapore music scene such as it is? I, I find I'm, I'm a little bit more separated out from it because, you know, obviously, yeah, but I mean, you know, you could say music's a young man's game or, but it's, it's largely true to an extent that, you know, that's why I actually, I spent a lot of time in the, in, the, in like from 2015 and all, I loved seeing what the new bands were doing and, you know, um, and that was fun. I still would go down to gigs and, you know, especially like there was some great stuff in the, with some of the heavier bands, um, you know, some interesting things. Um, but I also noticed that a lot of music was, uh, getting a little bit more, um, you know, the soul, the electronic, that kind of stuff. That uh, that's I'm sure it's nice and everything, but it doesn't really do a lot for me. Um, you know, I don't feel as connected to it, and I feel a little bit harder to. I I I don't really get it as much, and you know, so um, it also means that you know, from what I see coming up these days on Spotify with the new bands, a lot of it is more. Um, electronic, it's more solo duo projects. Um, you know, I guess that's the way people make music now. It's easier, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, we've got to a stage where, you know, Logic and plugins on a Mac are better than some of like the top studios that we used to go to back in the day, right? And people can do it affordably, um, cheap, and release a really great quality product. I mean, you know, I mean, even like, you know, the biggest artists in the world, Billie Eilish and all, they're doing everything at home in a very lo-fi manner and putting out albums that sell millions and go to number one. So, you know, I think um, the days of going into a studio and spending months there, it's kind of like over. So it's a new way of making music, I guess. So where does that um, mean? What does it mean for like dinosaurs such as myself, um, you know, who make music pre predominantly with a plank of wood and six metal strings, right? Um, rather than pressing buttons on on, on a machine, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a different approach. So, you know, for me, I always like to make music collaboratively. Um, I'm just not interested in writing a song on my own and putting it out on my own um, because I just maybe it's you know I just don't feel 
that it's right. I don't feel it's me. I'm always there to support. I've always seen myself as a guitar player um, who enhances others and who is enhanced by the context that I'm working off. Yeah, it's really about the community, right? It's really about the group of people. And that's what makes the scene. Without the people, then it's meaningless. You know? Yeah, without the, the people, and it's just people releasing their own songs every couple, you know, every Friday a month or something, and it gets compiled on a 65 playlist on Spotify. But these people don't play shows together, don't meet each other. I mean, you know, it's kind of different. That's why I guess, you know, even amongst that group, they collaborate with each other as well. That's what they try to do. So I think it's people want to collaborate, you know, with each other. They, they want to communicate. So collaborations happen, but it's a different kind of collaboration from the kind that we've grown up on and that we view music as, you know, it's two individual bands or artists or, you know, collaborating on a track rather than, you know, people getting together to make music collectively playing off each other and bouncing ideas and trading riffs and just letting the song mature and grow in that collective spirit. For to all the good people out there, where can, you know, people look for and find uh, Ini Chana Cutlass? Uh, your favorite music streaming site, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone's in it these days. We have an absolutely crap web presence. Uh, <laughs> None of us uh, want to be doing any of that. And, you know, we're just doing this for shits and giggles anyway. So, yeah, find us on Spotify or whichever music platform you like. You have a band cam as well, right? We have a band cam. We have a band cam. So, yeah, band cam Fridays are always fun. It was just, uh, yeah, that's the best thing about Bandcamp, if I might say so. Um, the fact that they actually care about their artists and they, you know, they actually don't mind sacrificing some of their profits um, for, for artists. Okay. Well, so thanks very much, Daniel, for, for taking time out of your busy schedule <laughs> to come and chat. <laughs> it's not that busy. I'm going to walk my dog in a while. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun, Chris. It's, uh, Kevin, it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Yeah. Take care, All man. right. Take care. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's another episode of Line City Rock, boys and girls. And, uh, you know, as you know what to do. As usual, like, subscribe, uh, you know, on all the different social media platforms. Right? And get the word out. Yeah, share, share, yeah. share as much as you can. Let everyone in the world know that, you know, Line City Rock podcast is bloody indispensable. Right? <laughs> you, need right. It, you, you need it in your life, right? But, you know, <laughs> until then... Right, uh, you know, be safe, play safe, uh, stay safe, and please don't do drugs. All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, see ya. Ciao. Bye.